Welcome back, you guys. Oh my gosh. So I've had some really awesome guests on this podcast before, but today's guest has been one of my favorite and most enlightening and eye-opening guests that I've ever had. And this conversation just completely blew my mind. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this interview. So in this episode, I talk with Kelsey Jepson, who is a body acceptance coach, and she's all about dismantling fat phobia and improving our body image. And I think just the message that she ha- that she has to share is just so needed and not often heard enough. So I really hope you guys enjoy our conversation that we're about to have. And I hope you learn a lot because we go over what the difference between body acceptance and body positivity is. And we talk about fat phobia, which goes far beyond what I thought fat phobia was. So we're going to dive in right now. But just a reminder, if you guys are not part of my Facebook empowerment community yet, I would really highly recommend that you guys join. It's just a great place to be part of a community where we really lift each other up and we support each other and we also have a place for accountability too. So in this Facebook empowerment community, it is all about building our self-confidence, our body confidence, learning how to find food freedom and that's that's what I pour into this community. It's completely free. So if you are not part of it yet, go to bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y slash Miranda Lee F-B to join. And I hope to see you guys over there. All right, let's dive into this episode. Hey, you guys, welcome to the Empowered Podcast hosted by your girl, Miranda Lee. I hope you're ready to get confident, throw away the all or nothing mindset, fully surrender to God, and strive to be 1% better every day. Don't forget, you are enough, you are worthy, and you are loved. Alrighty, let's get this party started. All right, hello Kelsey, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Yes, thank you so much for having me, Miranda. It's really nice to meet you. Yeah, it's so nice to meet you. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you because the conversations that we're about to have, um, I haven't had a guest who really specializes in this. So I'm super excited um, to talk about, you know, body acceptance and dismantling fat phobia and all of that. But before we deep dive into that, can you introduce yourself, tell my audience who you are, what you do, and a little bit of your background? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, my name is Kelsey Jepson, um, and I am a body acceptance coach and fat activist. And, you know, I, I really came to this work. Um, well, I always say like this, I arrived at this work. I didn't choose it. Um, and really like my first memory of hating my own body, um, was when I was eight years old. I actually think it was probably before then, but I just can't remember it. Um, and unfortunately that led to me developing an eating disorder. A few years later, I would do it with a few, um, friends in my neighborhood. We would not eat together, call each other if we got hungry so we could, you know, convince each other to stay strong and exercise incessantly. Um, and unfortunately, um, one of those friends ended up dying from it. And that was 
a horrible and life-changing experience. And so I realized like, oh, I, that was a big wake-up call. Like I need to start eating. And so I did. And that of course, naturally and resulted in weight gain as it should have. Um, but that then resulted in comments from everybody around me, my friends, my family, my teachers, my neighbors, you know, you name it. Um, we live in a culture where we normalize making comments on people's bodies. Um, good, and I say good in quotes or bad. Um, and unfortunately that just made me continue to um, suffer from disordered eating. And I went on a million diets and I just really suffered from poor body image. Um, and I was super ashamed about that. I hardly, I never even talked about that with anyone throughout my life. Um, and then, you know, through a couple of um, experiences, but mostly therapy, it was, I went, started going to therapy and it was my therapist that was able to help me name that I was fat phobic. And that just blew my my mind. Um, and and I, I like to tell you that my uh, definition of fat phobia is the fear of fatness on ourselves. And that's coupled with the systemic hatred of fat bodies that we have inherited. Um, that is just a normalized um, viewpoint of fat bodies in our culture. And um, so, you know, then I started to research it and I found intuitive eating and that was like definitely a game changer for me, but honestly, it did not help me to dismantle my fat phobia. Um, I could finally see that the way that I was eating and my relationship with food was really a symptom um, of my fat phobia, of my body shame. And so I started to look for like a group or a program to help me um, dismantle that. And I couldn't find one. I mean, it's such a taboo and subversive topic. And so I finally realized that if I wanted to work on this and I wanted to do it in community, that I was going to have to build it. So I did. So I teach 10-week uh, workshops with the mission to dismantle fat phobia. Um, and I've been doing it online um, just since January of 2021. And I'm just incredibly proud, proud of what I've built. Um, I have a level one and a level two workshop. And um, yeah, it's been really lovely to, to feel like it's been the culmination of everything in my life experience and my natural talents and what I'm interested in. You know, it's like that Venn diagram of, um, what you're good at, what's good for the world, and uh, like, how can you um, have a what's your livelihood? I feel like it's like all of that is that like intersecting spot in the circle. So I feel really grateful to um, really pursue something that I feel so passionate about and hopefully make a difference in the world. Wow, that that's awesome, and I feel like even though we are we are in this great. I don't want to say great, but we're in this good spot where people are starting to, you know, be more vocal about accepting their body and loving their body and all this stuff. Still the topic of fat phobia. I feel like you said a little taboo and people we haven't, they haven't really dove that deep into that. And something that you said that I thought was really interesting that I didn't even think of is fat phobia is even, you know, the fear of like, yourself being fat. Cause I don't yeah. know about, about the listeners, but if I think of fat phobia, the first type of person I think of is, you know, like that guy on Instagram who like comments on, on people like, Oh, you're unhealthy. Cause you're fat. Like that's what I think of, Oh, like that's a fat phobic person, you know, yeah. I think it goes far, far beyond that. And I think 
I think a lot more people in society are probably don't even know that they are fat phobic. I mean, look, to me, it's similar to the conversation around racism. We live in a country that is founded upon racism and fat phobia is rooted in racism. It's about the dehumanization of some people to justify why some people should be oppressed and enslaved and others shouldn't. So. No, I always talk about like by default, because we live in that culture, we live in a culture with systemic, um, that is systemically fat phobic, by default, we are all fat phobic, and that we don't need to have shame about that. And in fact, if we can just accept like, oh, this is not my fault, right? I was born into this culture, I didn't get to choose that, um, that the sooner that we can accept that the sooner we can do the work, the real work of dismantling that, um, of dismantling those messages and those narratives that we've been taught about bodies our entire lives. Um, you know, because if, if we don't, then that leads to kind of a shame spiral. Like, I feel ashamed about my body. Oof, I feel ashamed about my shame. Oof, now I feel ashamed to reveal. Now I feel ashamed to ask for help. And it's just this shame spiral where if we can give ourselves a little grace and compassion, that, ooh, I feel ashamed of my body, and that is an inherited thought, then we can start to really unpack that and get curious and dismantle um, those belief systems and start to live a life aligned with our actual values. I love that. And what it sounds like is it really all just starts with awareness. Yep. I think awareness and curiosity of why do I feel this way? Where did I learn this? Who taught me this? Is it true? Yeah, I like that last question. Is it true? Because a lot of people think that, oh, just because everyone has this opinion or is thinking this way, like it has to be true. Yeah. And just because something is normal doesn't mean that it's true. So that, well, that's a really good point. Yeah. And we are not our thoughts. Um, and just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's true. I think that is a real gift once you can get to that point of, oh, yeah, I'm having this thought, but that doesn't make it true. Um, and so just having a little bit of distance and, and compassion, I think just having a lot of compassion that just because you have a thought um, doesn't make it true. And it also doesn't define who you are. Yes, I, I love that. It doesn't define who you are. So let's talk about the difference between self, oh, sorry, body acceptance and body positivity, because I see a lot on social media and I'm mm -hmm. even guilty of it of just, you know, promoting body positivity. And I didn't really think about the difference until super random, but Demi Lovato is doing an interview and she's like, you know what, some days it's not about loving my body. It's just accepting my body. And I was like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So can you kind of talk about the difference between body acceptance and body positivity? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I want to talk about the origin of body positivity. So the body positivity movement was originally started by um, fat, uh, black and marginalized women and, and femme presenting people. And um, it was really about um, 
you know, dismantling fat oppression, that all of us deserve to be safe in our bodies as they are. All of us deserve um, to have access and to equitable health care um, to to the world. You know, the world is not built for fat bodies. And so it started as this radical movement saying, hey, all of us are worthy. All of us are, um, you know, we deserve access and humanity. And um, it's then this is not a prerequisite to respect or dignity. So that is the origin of it. But unfortunately, it has been um, taken over by mostly thin white women um, who who have kind of turned it into a way to make money. So, you know, capitalism has affected this movement, but it's also become more about um, convincing each other they're not fat. So again, they're leaving out those who are most marginalized um, in the body positivity movement. And and I also, like my criticism of it is um, loving your body is just, is a different side of the same code of a coin of hating your body. It's still trapping you in this world of objectification where now not only do you feel ashamed about your body, but you feel ashamed of your shame of your body. So it's like, oh, I already failed at meeting the social norm of idolized beauty and thinness, but now I'm failing because I don't love my body every single day. I mean, I don't think that's really practical in a world um, that commodifies bodies. And that's for anybody. I think no matter your body size, it is not practical or reasonable to think I'm gonna love how I look at every time, at every moment. And so that is a big difference is between um, moving away from valuing yourself um, for how you look um, to just valuing yourself because you are a person and that your body is the vessel that enables you to be you. And um, and I like the word acceptance because that is a practice. You know, I always say that body acceptance is, is actually not something that we arrive at. Again, that's that expectation that I will always be at acceptance with my body. And look, if you are a person that can be in that place, that is remarkable, but you are a unicorn. It's not practical in a world that is constantly flinging your body is wrong at you at every turn. Um, and so it, the acceptance is that no matter how my body changes, because um, it's very natural for our bodies to fluctuate and change all throughout our lives. So whether we're moving closer to what is quote, an acceptable body or further away from what is quote, an acceptable body, that we can be in acceptance of my body is worthy and good just as it is because it allows me to be me. I, I love that. That is, that's so true that we can't just expect ourselves to love our body that we're in every day. And I think it really does start with acceptance. So what are your, what are your tips do you have for someone who's like, I don't really accept the body I'm in right now, but I want to, how do you, how do you get to that place? Yeah. I mean, you, you're kind of already doing it. So I, I use body neutrality as a practice so that you're one, just letting go of that expectation of moving from hating to loving your body that I just want people to feel so neutral about their bodies that if they experience, um, you know, a body image disruption that it no longer, um, puts them into fight or flight or hiding or fixing that they can just like have the tools to go, 
Yeah, I hear that. I hear that old narrative. Yep, I got it loud and clear. I've been being told that my whole life. That's that's interesting that came up. Now I have the tools to meet my needs in that moment and still go along and show up in my life as I am. And so I think reframing what you just said, someone might not be, okay, so I'm not actually a big fan of um, positive affirmations. I think they mostly don't work unless so I always say that the affirmation that you find must resonate with you as deeply as the negative body image thought that you had. So for example, so I had to spend a lot of time with my stomach. You know, I have an, uh, I have a fat stomach, I'm apple shaped, and that is not acceptable in our culture. And so I've had to lot, spend a lot of time with my stomach. And so it's not really reasonable for me to, my negative body image thought is I hate my stomach. It's disgusting to go f- to, I love my stomach. It's beautiful. When I say that, like, so if I'm experiencing the negative body image thought of, I hate my stomach and it's disgusting. When I, if I just try to say, I love my stomach, it's beautiful. Um, I call it the bullshit alarm in your brain. It's going to start going off. Like, no, that's not actually true. I don't actually believe that. And so there's going to be a, then a big disconnect that's happening in your body. So the affirmation that you choose must resonate as deeply as that negative body image thought. Your body must have the actual response of, yes, this is real. This resonates with me. And so you could go, um, I want to um, you know, believe that my stomach is okay. I am open to the possibility that I don't have to hate my stomach. I am working to um, towards letting go of the belief that my stomach is disgusting, right? So meeting yourself where you're actually at, and then that can start to rewire your brain. Your brain goes, oh, I, there's another path I could take instead of just replaying the same narrative. And then, you know, cause that's really what happens is we're taught from a young age, your body is wrong. And then we have these experiences reinforced over and over and over, either from things people have said to us or the way that we see other people um, react with their own bodies or the way people talk about other people's bodies or their own bodies. Those experiences start to layer that same narrative. And so eventually we, we, we've received it as the truth, you know, instead of, Oh, can there be a different path? But you really have to meet yourself where you're at. And that requires um, space to sit in discomfort. And I think that is the best tip that I have for people is um, try to expand the length and time that you can sit with discomfort, but to do so with compassion. And that part is a practice, you know, that's a repetitive practice of staying with yourself um, through discomfort as it arises, instead of pushing it down um, or dis, you know, dissociating or worse, turning on yourself, saying, yep, I am disgusting. Now I have to go on this diet. Now I will exercise incessantly. I will hate myself into change. I mean, that is usually the pattern that you either go into, I'm pushing this away or I'll hide myself away. I just won't see anybody anymore or I'm going to turn on myself. I'm going to hate myself into change. That's such a true statement. A lot of us think that we can just hate our body 
into loving our body. It's like I hate myself enough if I hate myself to the point of extreme dieting, extreme exercising, then eventually I'll have the body that <laughs> I love. And it really doesn't make any sense, I but mean, everyone does it. <laughs> I mean, Miranda, if shame worked, we would have a world of only thin bodies. Um, and not because everyone even necessarily wants to be thin, but because that is what is worshipped and used as a commodity in our culture. I mean, the social status and power and privilege that you gain from living in a thin body. So it's like if, yeah, if shame worked, that's what our world would look like. You know, if body diversity wasn't real, that's what our world would look like. Um, but unfortunately, I think that is the narrative that so many people in the fitness and wellness industry um, use is these shame tactics. Um, you know, the no pain, no gain. Um, the only exercise, the only workout that doesn't count is the one you didn't do. You know what I mean? Like all of those, uh, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. I mean, we I have, this, have to say that one. <laughs> like like this this rhetoric, and and this rhetoric has been going on um, for centuries. I mean the you know, this worship of thinness and of eating in a certain way. Um, this started um, in the 18th century. Uh, I don't have you read Sabrina Strings fearing the black body? No, it's I the racial origins of fat phobia. Um, yeah, she is really brilliant. And she just clearly show, it's a it's kind of a clinical read. It's not like a narrative. Um, but I really loved it because it just painted this obvious picture of, oh, right, this is based in eugenics. This is based on um, creating a hierarchy of bodies in our culture in order to oppress others, to gain social status, to gain, um, you know, Christian morality and superiority. Like this is about dehumanizing others in order to have that um, power. And, um, you know, that that's really a difficult thing to interrupt, right? We're talking hundreds of years and that this is generational trauma um, that we're working to interrupt, to change. Um, and that's a really scary thing to do and really difficult thing to do, um, you know, which is also why I created the work that I did because doing that on your own is pretty hard, um, especially like we said, when it's subversive, when it's taboo. So being able to speak your truth and your lived experience and be met with validation and an embrace. I think that is truly where the healing lives, um, which is why I teach small group workshops. And I also do one-on-ones, but I really believe in the power of community. We all have this human need to belong. Um, like even you and I talking right now, there, there, there's something um, that is innate in our, just in our humanness that we want that connection. Yeah. And I, I truly believe that if everyone in our society was skinny, like that wouldn't be the goal anymore. Like the ideal body oh, yeah. would be something else. For sure. I mean, well, you can even see that the um, ideal body standard that changes over time, mm -hmm. we can literally track it. And that's because cultural elites value what is rare and difficult to attain in order to, you know, maintain that sense of superiority of an unattainable, you know, we say this, the um, social norm of idolized um, attractiveness or hotness and thinness, it is unattainable for so many people. Um, but we keep changing that because like you said, if everyone ev eventually met what that is, then it would need to change. Um, so it's designed to be unattainable. That's, 
that's just crazy. And I feel like so many, so many people like the diet industry, like they just make money off of it. Yes. (laughs) It's ridiculous because we, because we give into what they're saying the truth is and it's not. And I really think I had another podcast interview where we talked about the importance of unlearning. And I think especially in the world of health and fitness and dieting, like these things aren't true, but it's what we've been taught every day. So we believe it to be true. And we can't just make it untrue in one day. Like we have to make it a daily practice for us to believe it. And it it takes time. Yes. Well, and I think it's really important to also name that a lot of people that um, are in diet culture and that are actively selling diets and programs and all of that, like they too are victims of our fat phobic culture. And many of those people truly believe like this is a good thing that I am giving to the community. And, and, you know, that idea that like I could do, I did it. So you you can too, where as the evidence shows that 95% of people who engage in intentional weight loss will gain that weight back with two thirds of those people gaining back more weight than they lost. Um, And so here it is, this industry that um, doesn't really work. It depends on people failing and blaming themselves and coming back. And, you know, it just continues on that they're making money, they're making money. But really, you know, my point about like, I started out, I think being anti-diet is an entry point um, of going like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do this anymore. It's ruining, it's ruining my life. It doesn't work. I see this is rooted in capitalism, but I really think that's an entry point because what I want people to think about is not the um, that you shouldn't diet just because it doesn't work and you're probably going to gain weight. But actually, why don't you address the real question in the in the first place? Why are you so afraid of gaining weight? Why are you so afraid of fatness? what those are the really hard questions that I want people to to sit with. And that I think that's where the unlearning really comes from. That's where the curiosity needs to come into play. Um, you know, because really when I started to ask myself those questions, I had to think, hmm, well, do I think it's okay to discriminate against someone because of their race or their gender? or their size, or their shape, or their ability. Like when I really started asking myself those questions, the answer was obvious. Um, Like, no, I actually don't, that doesn't align with my values and how I wanna treat other people. So if it's not true for other people, then it also can't be true for me because that is out of line with my values as a human being. That's that's such a good point where so, we're so quick to accept other people how they are for the most part. Um, but, Oh, heaven, but I'm the exception, like heaven forbid, I accept myself with, with how I am, who I am, how much I weigh. And I love the questions that you ask, like, why are we so scared to gain weight? Why are we so scared to be quote unquote fat? Yep. Why is that the worst thing that can happen to us in our life? You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Like I, you know, I am a health coach, but oh my gosh, I, I don't want weight, like weight loss. I don't think it should ever be the goal. Can it be a side effect to healing your relationship with food? Sure. That happens sometimes, but that shouldn't be the goal because if 
being thin or losing weight was the answer, I don't think anorexia would even exist because Mm -hmm. they are thin. It has nothing to do with their body. It has to do with their head and their relationship with their body. And I think that self-acceptance aspect and just being okay with the fact that your body's not going to be the same weight or shape or size your entire life. And we live in a culture where it's like, oh, you fit in the same jeans from high school. Like that's something that we should applaud. Why? What, how does that measure our worth or our value or anything like that? And I I just love the questions that, that, that you mentioned that we should ask ourselves and I'm sure it will make people uncomfortable, but good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. And, and like, even part of that, like, you know, you, you said the word fat in quotes and, and I want to tell you that, um, I identify as fat and that that's actually a really important part of the fat acceptance movement, because as you know, fat is typically used as a pejorative. It's used to just to be mean. Like you don't say that unless you're being mean to someone, um, because we've been taught that being fat, um, is gross. It means you're lazy, means you're in like morally inferior. Um, you know, it's all of those things that it's such a loaded word. And part of the fat acceptance movement is reclaiming that word as the actual neutral descriptor that it is. Um, when we can remove the morality around thinness and the immorality around fatness, um, we can just say, you know, I'm I'm my name's Kelsey and I'm white and I'm fat and I have long light brown hair. And these are just true, uh, neutral descriptors about who I am. Um, and that is that in itself is a way to dismantle that fat phobia is a way to work towards, um, acceptance when you can ask yourself, well, how do I feel about becoming fatter and then get curious about what comes up there, but then also start to unpack, well, what have I learned about fatness? When did I first learn that it wasn't okay to be fat? What have I been taught being fat means? about yourself as a person. Because how we feel about our own bodies suggests an implicit bias towards other bodies. And I do think that, um, you know, your assertion is correct that we are the we are our worst critic, we are hardest on ourselves, you know, our brains take the negative feedback that we have encountered, and we apply it as truth. Um, and I think it's, you know, a way to try to feel unfortunately, we're doing it as a tactic to try to feel safe in our own bodies. Uh, but ironically, it is the very thing that um, teaches us that we are not safe in our bodies, which is why so many people are at war with their own bodies. They're treating their body like an enemy rather than as a friend. Because just like you said, the irony is that um, if you're actually working on your health, if weight loss is the goal, it is not very likely that you are going to make decisions and, and behaviors that actually improve your health. I mean, one in four dieters develop an eating disorder and one out of um, three develop really poor body image. Wow. Those are, that's really interesting. That's a high number. That's a really high number. (laughs) It's an extremely high number. And, and even with the, you know, with the diet, with the statistics, statistics earlier of 95% of people who engage in intentional weight loss, gain it back the 5% that don't gain that back within one to five years, 
likely have an eating disorder, likely have, um, you know, an unhealthy relationship with their body or movement or food. Um, and, you know, when I, I look at my life and I'm like, I want my life to be about more than that. Like, can my life be about more than shrinking my own body? Um, and, you know, and I think women in particular are taught that like our, the point of our lives is to look good for others and to make other people feel good. And I think, gosh, what, imagine all of the things we could do in the world if we got back that space, that time, that energy that we spent on trying to change our bodies, like the good that we could do in the world. And that's really what I want people to think about is what do you want your life to look like? I don't wanna be 95 and still not eating birthday cake because I'm afraid of gaining weight. You know what I mean? I wanna be in the celebration. I wanna be in my life. I wanna do more. Yeah. And cause uh, I've, I've said this previously in other, other podcasts, no one's going to stand up at your funeral and be like, I'm so glad that she finally lost those last 10 pounds. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that she was a size 10. Like no one's going <laughs> to say that. So why do we obsess over it? I know. And it's like, yeah. And, and the easiest way to define that for yourself is go is to think of like the people that you love in your life. Are you like, oh my gosh, I love my best friend because she's so skinny. <laughs> no, no, you know, yeah. if anything, we look at our parents, it's often our parents that first taught us that our bodies are wrong. And it's because their parents taught them and their parents mm-hmm. taught them, you know, again, that is not their fault. We can be compassionate about that. Um, but when I think of, you know, my own family, my own friends and my own parents, um, who have struggled with accepting their bodies and treating their bodies with kindness, I feel sad. I'm not like, wow, what a great example of dieting and self-hatred. I'm so happy I inherited that gift from him. Like, no, we're not thinking of it like that. I think I feel sad. You know, I want, um, the people that I love to know that their bodies are good and worthy just as they are that they that their value does not come from that it's from who they are wow yeah and that's not what we're taught that's not what's been passed down from generation to generation and it's just so second nature like you said like for our parents and our grandparents like that's how they were taught so that's what their normal is so what advice do you have and what tips do you have to really break the cycle because I know one of the issues that my clients have is, you know, they've really worked on, um, worked on themselves and their body image, but they still find themselves in situations where they're, they're skinnier friends or friends that are smaller than them look in the mirror and go, Oh my gosh, I'm so fat, you know, making these comments or, Oh, I need to lose weight. And it can be triggering, but also, like you said, like, just kind of, it's sad. It's sad that these people have this mindset. So I guess like what tips do you have for kind of helping others around you as well? And, um, kind of taking the power out of the language, like, like we, like you mentioned earlier, when I put quotes around fat, or even now when I put quotes around skinny, taking the power out of these words. Yeah. Well, first you have to address the real hurdles that are coming up around, um, what you've learned about bodies for a lot of people, you know, I mean, we have medical fat phobia is a real thing. It is what makes, um, you know, body acceptance, a fat acceptance, a social justice issue is literally 
killing people because doctors blame symptoms on fatness and um, solutions on losing weight. And then they're that's resulting in misdiagnosis, late diagnosis, or no diagnosis at all. So it's like someone is has cancer, but they're like, you're fat. So just go home and lose some weight. And then meanwhile, you know, this is happening all the time. Um, you know, I had a rash on my leg that I got from bug bites from swimming in a lake that then got infected. And I had to see 15 doctors over two years to get that accurately diagnosed, to get the right topical cream, to get the right pill that I needed to take to kill this fungus because everybody kept blaming it on my body. They were obsessed. They were like, you definitely have diabetes. And that is because I walk in the door, they look at my weight and they can't see past the fatness. And that's not their fault, right? They have been trained to be fat phobic. We're still using the outdated and archaic and harmful BMI, um, which, uh, you know, that's one tip is look at the history of the BMI. It's, it's literally so outdated. It's wrong. It's racist. It's, um, it should be banned. Uh, and, and so that's part of what I teach in my workshops is, okay, let's look at those hurdles like health, like the moralization of health. And then I teach people how to interrupt fat phobia with their loved ones, because, you know, I mean, we might be doing this work, but so few people are. It's still, like we said, so taboo, so subversive. And so that's part of what I teach is how to interrupt that. But, you know, I think the most important thing is to um, be clear for yourself on what is the life? How do I want to live my life? And then to, to say something and really to give yourself permission to interrupt the fat phobia badly. Like it's hard. We it's really feels so uncomfortable, but it's like being willing to sit in that discomfort of um, calling of saying, hey, you know, I, I always say to use I statements like so let's do a little role play. So what's you, you said how to if someone says, what, give me an example of you're a person who's talking about how you need to lose weight or something. Yeah, she says that she's hanging out with her friend and they're like, oh, I can't eat that. I I'm getting so fat. Okay, great. So I would try to use I statements. Oh, I'm so first I would validate this is a person that you probably love. So you would say, Hey, I'm sorry. So sorry to hear that. Um, you know, it sounds like you you're feeling discomfort with your body. And that's really hard. I really understand that. I have been working on making peace with my own body and healing my relationship with food um, and learning about dismantling fat phobia. I would love to tell you about that if you're interested. So it can be gentle, right? It's um, about tone matching. It's about me. You know, you have to think about the situation you're in. If you're at a party, you might not want to say all of that. And so you might try to meet their energy like, oh, well, I'm working on accepting my body and I think all bodies are beautiful. So I'm eating the cake and celebrating. Like it's, you can, there's all sorts of ways that you can interrupt and you can do so that um, in a way that feels authentic to you. Um, but I also recommend practicing it, like practice um, talking about your value system practice 
talking about, um, hey, I'm going to hold a boundary. Um, like, hey, I, I actually am working to heal my relationship with food and my body. So I would appreciate it if we didn't talk about that um, because, you know, I'm working really hard to repair that. So I can't talk about your diet with you. I'm sorry. Um, I love you. I hope you find peace with your body and that it works for you. But I cannot have that discussion with you. So it's about setting a boundary um, and not just for yourself, but so that you can advocate for other people, because that's actually where the work is for all of us, is to have those uncomfortable conversations, to have those interruptions with the people that we love in those small groups with our families, with our friends. That is actually how we make systemic change, um, how we change how people are treating themselves and others um, interpersonally and culturally. Yeah. So some of the takeaways um, I'm getting for that is, first of all, use the I statements, like you said. Um, another one, addressing their struggle, because, you know, yeah. if it's, it's a struggle, accepting that, not yeah, validating. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Validating their struggle. Um, kind of matching the tone of the situation. You don't yeah, want to match the energy. Yeah, match the energy. Definitely. And, and not be afraid to like, be, like, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable. But like you said, that's how change is made. Yeah, and we don't we don't grow unless we're uncomfortable, right? It's much easier to just go the status quo. Uh, you know, we want to just have the routine, but that is exactly right. Sorry, and I didn't mean to cut you off. What what else is your takeaway, Miranda? Oh no, I was just gonna I was just gonna say that it it really can be the change because that it might make a difference in like one one person's life. You know, yep. it might be something you say all the time and everyone just kind of brushes it off. And then it might really change the life of one person who's really been struggling, who felt like they were in it alone. Yes. And, and they are, so it's kind of a disservice to really keep it to yourself and not say anything when you see that they're struggling. Yes. I, I think that's exactly right. Because I mean, that is the power of sharing your own story of, and when you are vulnerable with people, it invites them to be vulnerable. And not all of us are impacted by the hierarchy of bodies in our culture, no matter where on the spectrum you fall. Um, all of us live with that um shame of our bodies of either I have to work to maintain this or I'm going to lose social status or I'm going to lose, you know, all of us are affected by this. So it is a disservice not to, um, you know, and call them in. And that's what I like to say. You're not calling someone out, you're calling them in. And, and you got to give yourself permission to do it badly at first, right? It's going to be hard if you're interrupting um, the social norm of keeping things pleasant. We typically prioritize people's comfort over what is right. And that is the, the commitment that I ask people to make is, um, you know, make the commitment to interrupt harm, um, because that's really what it is. It's the person saying, you know, the fat phobic thing, they're actually the one bringing harm into the space, not you. You're, you're not bringing the harm or the discomfort by, by interrupting it. They've already done that. So you're meeting them where they're at in that harm. And we can be compassionate, we can be gentle. They might be unintentionally doing this. Most people are, again, because this is things that we've been taught. But like you said, one 
doing one little saying one little thing might be the seed planted that then changes people's lives. I mean, I know that for myself, that everything that we do impacts everyone else around us. I mean, we know this from the pandemic, right? We were like, it was like clearly shown everything that we do affects everyone else around us. That has always been true. And so by living in your own truth, by having the courage to share your own story, to live a life aligned with values and to make that commitment to I'm going to do better and um, and even and live in my discomfort around that. That is that is a way to change the world. That's a way to change your life and change the people around you. Wow, I, I absolutely love that. I think this first of all, I can I feel like I could talk to you about this forever because I'm learning a lot. I think this is so amazing and it just really starts with being uncomfortable and challenging these truths that society um, keeps shoving down our throats. And we're just like, oh yeah, like that's the normal. And it, and it shouldn't be. And it's our responsibility to, you know, be the change, like, like you were saying. So do you have any like final last words or pieces of advice or words of encouragement for, for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, first off, be compassionate with yourself. This takes time. We've had a lifetime of learning our bodies are wrong. So it's going to take time. Um, And also, you know, you can do this with support. This is literally what I do. I mean, um, you know, the 10 week workshops that I cover, um, you know, the point, yes, is to dismantle fat phobia. But the goal is so that you can go after dreams that you have for yourself that you can participate fully in your life um and and i teach people how to dismantle fat phobia and how to improve their body image and work towards body acceptance and um you know we cover hurdles like health and the moralization of health we talk about diet culture you know that's embedded in everything we do we talk about shame um the discrimination and oppression of fat bodies so it's centered on those who are most marginalized how to navigate medical fat phobia um and you know owning your own story and identity um identifying and shifting your core belief systems i mean this is and how to navigate fat phobia with family and friends i mean this is a lot to take on which is Mm -hmm. why i developed the work that i did so you know if people want support and guidance and community um in doing this work i uh, you know i offer free discovery calls to see if this is a good fit for them so they can um, work with me they can work with you um but that's my best advice is to be compassionate and to build community have support awesome i i love that so how can how can our listeners connect with you reach out to you and find you yeah so um you can follow me on instagram at i am kelsey jepson and that's k-e-l-s-i-e J-E-P-S-E-N. Um, my workshops are, are called um, Embodied Love Workshops. So you can go to my website, embodyloveworkshop.com. And you can just click the link to book a free discovery call. Awesome. I will put all that in the show notes so people can reach out to you because you are doing amazing work. And I'm so happy that I got to hear your story and your message and that my listeners get to listen to this because I really think it's going to help so many people. So thank you again. No, thank you so much, Miranda. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, You know, we need as many voices um, and people working towards this change as possible. Okay, you guys, was I right? Or was I right? Because that was an amazing conversation. I loved talking to Kelsey and I I don't know about you, but I left that conversation really feeling inspired and motivated and just 
empowered. I think it is so great to fully understand why we have these thoughts and why we are so quick to have these labels that were just created by society. So really guys, go ahead and connect with her. Her info is in the show notes. And if you guys like and enjoy this podcast, please leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. But thank you again so much for joining me and I will catch you in the next episode.